Here on Swings and Mishes, we only bring you the very best content with the Miami Marlins and Major League Baseball. And if you want to get yourself into a very good car, what you need to do is make sure you head on over to Happy Car Sales, 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale. And the phone number is 954-800-2449. I have been buying cars personally from Louie, the owner, for more than a decade. And he wants me to let you know that whether or not you have good credit, bad credit, or no credit whatsoever, it simply doesn't matter. He's got his full inventory online at happycarsflorida.com, and all of the financing is done in-house. Again, it is happycarsflorida.com, 203 West State Road 84 in Fort Lauderdale, and Louie's phone number is 954 954- 8002449 if the car that you want is not in his inventory he will get it for you happycarsflorida.com 9548002449 hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of swings and mishes here in the off season of major league baseball i am your Producer Jeremy Taché, joined by Craig Mish, a man behind the name of Swings and Mishes. Craig, how are you doing on this fine Thursday morning? I'm doing well, Jeremy. We've officially hit the off season. We've hit the <laughs> winter season, free agent season. Still trying to determine if I'm going to do it for entertainment purposes only player this year. I'm not sure <laughs> if I'm going to or not. It's a tough call for me because I like to do that knowing I'm going to have the answer at the end eventually. I know that right. everybody likes it for fun. And and they want to see a player up there. And we did it for Stanton. We did it for JT. But I don't know. This this year I like I like everyone wants me to do Ozuna, but I mean no one really knows what in the world Ozuna is gonna end up doing. No one, even me. Right. So I mean I, I think I have an idea. That would be the most likely one that if if I was to tackle it that I was gonna do it. But for now I think we'll just cover it and Maybe we'll get to December and, and we'll and we'll change change up things. But uh, you know, for now we'll just leave it to just the discussion and speculation. Yeah, and uh, this this is Craig's for everybody who doesn't know who's just been following us throughout the season, this is really Craig's sweet spot right here. The uh, the off season moves, finding out all the intricacies and details of what goes on from every level throughout organizations. Um, and so speaking of uh, all sorts of different levels, we've got sort of coaching updates for uh, the Miami Marlins this offseason that have sort of uh, changed in the last week or so since we recorded. Um, first of all, Dus- uh, Dustin Luker, their trainer, has resigned. Um, so that's just of note. He wanted to be closer to his family. Other than Luker, where are we at, Craig, with the rest of the coaching staff and any sort of updates that you might have on names that have been floated out there? Yeah, I, I think we'll have some clarity over the next week as they fill out their coaching staff, but there have been some kind of bumps along the way here, and we can get into that a little bit more. Uh, one of the bumps on the road has been a uh, former coach of the San Francisco Giants, former Yankees player, uh, Hensley Mullins, who was expected to be on the coaching staff. And from my understanding, and and as a, and John Heyman had you know kind of been on top of some of the reporting here with with this, I'll be back in a couple of weeks to dive in exactly what happened with Hensley Mullins. But it is my understanding is that he will not be on the coaching staff mm. with the Miami Marlins in 2019. 
And there isn't really much more I can say about it yet because I got to do more reporting on this before we do this podcast. But it is my understanding is that he will not be back or not be with the Marlins, although he did initially appear to be for sure with the Marlins uh, and and agreed to be with the Marlins. But that is not happening from what I'm told. So a couple weeks we'll come back here and I'll tell the whole story to it. But for now, we can eliminate him, I believe, from the process uh, of being a coach with Miami, barring something that I don't foresee. I don't ever do 100% anymore, but I do not believe he will be a coach this year. Wow, that's uh, that's quite the turn of events, considering as you had reported, as John Heyman had reported, he you know had signed a, a letter of intent, quote-unquote, to uh, be with the Marlins as their assistant hitting coach. And so what other coaching updates are there uh, throughout the major league level? Yeah, uh, the the position that I believe will be filled is the catching coach position or catching coordinator, however they want to call it. And I believe that Eddie Rodriguez, who played at the University of Miami and also Coral Spring or Coral Gables High School, excuse me, is going to end up being their catching coordinator. From my understanding, they've offered him the position. I believe that he will accept the position. He was a catching coordinator uh, coach. With the Angels, of course, if you're going to take a guess as to what minor league organization he would have played with, Hmm. in the one guess, you would guess the Yankees, you would be correct. Of course. Uh, He also had a big league stint briefly with the Padres, but a very well-respected defensive-minded catcher that would really boost things with helping uh, Jorge Alfaro and, and Chad Wallach, hypothetically, unless they bring somebody else in. We're still going to have to wait for an official announcement on that, but I'm led to believe that at the very least he's been offered the position. And my understanding is, is that they expect him to accept the position. And so that would be the Miami Marlins catching coach. Yeah, and he's a young guy from down here, like you mentioned, went to the U. So that's a pretty good combination, uh, especially as a defensive minded catcher. As the Marlins have gone through this process, Craig, you know, you mentioned Mullins, you mentioned Rodriguez. There's obviously been other coaching changes and, and kind of reshuffles throughout the organization. What role has Derek Jeter played in this process? Has he been, you know, very hands-on? Has he been sort of hands-off letting the rest of the organization play things out? Or, you know, is he right in there in those meetings? Yeah, I've spoken to people who have interviewed with the Marlins this offseason for different positions, whether it's coaching or other spots. And and my understanding from the people who have who I've talked to that have come away have told me that arguably he was, uh, you know, delivered one of the most impressive interviews that they've ever had with different mm-hmm. organizations. So that certainly was a positive and solo interviews too. And, and, and certainly, uh, you know, Michael Hill has been involved in those uh, conversations and interviews and Adrian Lorenzo, I know has also been heavily involved. Uh, but when Marlon CEO, Derek Jeter has done these, they've been one-on-one conversations and one-on-one talks. And at least the people who I've spoken to, whether they've accepted or declined the positions with Miami, have come away with the idea that the uh, Marlins' path is very clear, concise, Mm. and Jeter was able to very eloquently deliver that message. So, um, you know, the reins are off, so to speak, as far as these interviews go. It is uh, is a one-on-one situation in some of these particular situations. And from what I'm told, and again, that's the same question that you asked me, Jeremy, that I would ask them is, hey, uh, you know, did you – did you get FaceTime with Derek Jeter where you want to, and the answer is yes. And it was extremely impressive. So uh, that certainly was something that I wanted to bring to the podcast, because if it wasn't, I would say that too, but that's <laughs> uh, a clear direction and definitely, um, and definitely a positive as far as Miami goes in, in that way. Uh, you know, as they fill out the coaching staff, it's still to be determined on a couple different spots. 
And again, they've had some people decline positions too, as we've seen, and we'll get into more in a couple of weeks from now when, when we get the clear picture as to who's accepted and not, because guys could obviously come back and take positions that they were offered initially declined and the offers get sweetened and they decide. But part of this also is just for people to take people up behind the curtain a little bit is that every major league baseball team has several coaching positions available but they do not have what's called pension positions available too, which means they get their salary uh, on a one-year or a two-year or in some cases a three-year deal. Three is usually the most for a coach, uh, but they only have a certain amount of positions with that they could, they could also offer pension to. And usually I believe that it's four positions per club. And so Miami at this point, having given out their pension positions, don't have any additional, from what I understand, to offer. Mm. And that could factor in with these coaches when they come understanding that they're strictly getting a coaching position and no pension as well. Maybe that takes things a little bit deeper from what people want to know, but that's my understanding with the particular situation. Well, that would explain, you know, maybe certain coaches finding other positions that come open and and taking a chance to interview out there as well. Uh, You know, one way or another, regardless of how you feel about any sort of moves that have been made over the last year, last two years, it's clear that this organization does have a very clear direction in which it's trying to go. As you mentioned, you know, Jeter being hands-on inside all of these meetings and interviews. And, you know, when we do talk about the organization and as we approach free agency, you know, there are all sorts of different names that have been uh, floated out there. Uh, Nick Castellanos, who we at at WSVN refer to as a SoFlow pro. Uh, one of the South Florida guys. There's a lot of different names that could be out there in free agency. The Marlins obviously have to have an internal approach as they go forward into free agency. And what are you hearing in regards to what that approach might be and, and what those meetings have been like for the Marlins? Yeah, Mike Hill is, is very publicly one of the best speakers that we've ever had in terms of coaches or managers here in South Florida, along with Pat Riley and uh, Jim Leland and Jimmy Johnson. Mike Hill is an excellent orator, uh, as Mike would tell you. Uh, he may, you may not get the answer that you like from him, but you always will get an answer from Mike. And a lot of times those public answers are going to be very different from what the private answers are, whether it's with him or whether it's with the rest of the organization, which, by the way, takes nothing away from him or what other organizations do as well. Any Major League Baseball team is, is delivering a public message for the public and the private messages can be very different from that. Yep. And perception is always not reality. And I simply haven't talked to anyone within the Marlins organization privately that has told me that they're willing to give out a 50 or $60 million contract this offseason, which is what it's going to be required to get somebody like Nick Castellanos or potentially like Marcelo Zuna or even Jose Abreu to a degree. Mm. So as I watch a lot of these reports come in, with respect to the people who are you know, making these reports, they certainly have fantastic sources and have been around teams. And I'm not in the, in the business of debunking other people's reports. It's not what I do. And I don't like it when people do it to me too. So I'm not going to do it to anyone else. But it is my opinion that they will not sign any of those players. It is my opinion and a very strong opinion that they will not be giving up a first round draft pick. Right. That will not be happening. And I just, it goes against everything the organization has done in, in a year from now, hypothetically, if Miami, let's say goes from a 60 win to a 70 win team, then Jeremy, their draft pick is not in the top five or top 10, maybe even anymore. And then I could see them going out there and signing a free agent and losing a pick. But these picks are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And so those of you who are listening may say, what does that mean? What do you mean that pick is worth hundreds of millions of dollars? 
a market like Miami with no new TV contract operating on, at the very least, a more limited budget than some other Major League Baseball teams, the way that they view draft picks like Tampa Bay and like some of the smaller uh, market teams, basically, you could say Miami's a big market team, but, but we're certainly not playing like a big market team, right. is that you have the ability to have a player under control at an elite level for five or six years without significantly paying for the player. Why would you give that idea away and sign a player that could be exactly the same or better or worse for $100 million or $200 million? These draft picks to teams like Miami are gold. They are not going to forfeit those picks. It may change. It may change depending on what the record is after the season but there is, I just don't see any possible scenario that they're going to steal, that they're going to take a pick away from DJ's Phillip coming up in the draft in 2020 for Marcelo Zuna right. or, or for Jose Abreu. I just don't see it. And so I, I don't want to mix up my opinion versus fact. But in this case, I believe it is close to his opinion as fact. I don't believe that this is going to happen. Playing the percentages wise, I would put almost a hundred percent on this mm-hmm. on them not signing a guy that has a, attachment to a comp pick. Uh, in terms of a player like Castellanos or somewhere else, I think the right thing to do is for Miami to say that they're interested in every free agent. They should <laughs> say that they're interested in Garrett Cole. Why not? I mean, right. they. I mean, it make make people feel good. That's fine. But the reality of this is, until the new TV deal comes in next year. And they're able to add, I don't think that there's going to be significant addition to the payroll outside of replacing the money that is now gone with Castro and Prado. I do think that's going to be replaced. $20 million on the AAV this year. $25 million on the AAV. Yeah, I could see that with, with a couple different players. A hitter, uh, maybe a pitcher of some kind. But what I don't think that we're doing enough of is deep diving into the trades and finding players on other teams that I think that Miami potentially will be more interested in than these free agents. But obviously uh, everyone certainly has a right to their opinion. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just of the opinion that it's going to be a light free agent season for Miami, but uh, potentially a heavy trading season for Miami as they've built up this farm system very well. And I believe have excess at the mm-hmm. pitching position that other teams could be interested in. Well, and you mentioned the, the possible trades, one thing that, that you put out there this week, and then we followed up on swingsandmishes.com with an article from Ian Smith and Louis Davila, David Peralta of the Arizona Diamondbacks is a player that you said the Marlins could be interested in acquiring should the free agency period not play out in acquiring a, a big bat. And so David Peralta would be a way to use some of those assets that you just talked about some of those over uh, excess of assets and be able to acquire a player that produces at that type of level. While this past year, Peralta was banged up a little bit, uh, only played 99 games at 275, 12 homers. He's a lifetime 290 hitter. He had 30 homers in 2018. So Peralta is a guy that, that could be out there as someone that the Marlins could maybe reach out to and, and try to acquire, you know, what have you heard about their, um, mindset as we do approach that type of trading with someone like Peralta or someone else. Yeah, I would never put a name out that was my just random opinion. I mean, Peralta is a name that I believe that the Marlins will consider. Uh, whether or not they follow through with that, I don't know. But I believe that Peralta is 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 on a list of of names that 
fit a profile of what Miami is looking for, which are players that are either a year or two away from free agency that are left-handed, that can hit home runs, that play good defense. Mm. And Peralta, even though he does have some injury history, does fall very heavily into that category. Won the gold glove with the Arizona Diamondbacks last year, is left-handed, and when healthy, in any park, can hit 20 home runs and plays very hard and is a quality character guy, A-plus character, A-plus makeup. We know that that's what Miami looks for. The other thing that I have seen in in terms of negative response to this is that why would Miami uh, give up talent in this particular case when they could just go ahead and sign a free agent? Well, I think I've kind of illustrated that at this point. I don't believe the Miami Marlins are going to go out there and spend $50, $60 million on anyone. And if they do, hey, look, I'll come back here on the podcast in two months and say, hey, look, I'm very surprised I was wrong. I just don't think that that's going to happen. And remember, if they were to get Peralta, give up prospects, they would get back a a, a first-round pick again for Mm. losing Peralta if they trade for him before the season. And so, hence, Miami could hypothetically sign a high-ticket free agent that has a qualifying offer attached to it. They would lose the pick in 2021 and gain one back from losing David Peralta. So, again, you got to look deeper into some of these things and understand that there's a lot of different ways that Miami can go about the offseason. I do believe that they're open to other discussions, free agents, trades, and the like. I, I think that those are all possibilities for it. But I do believe in the end it is more likely that the talent that they acquire offensively is, is going to end up being via a trade as opposed to going and handing a free agent a multi-year deal that potentially blocks some of these other kids that they have developed through their minor league system. It just doesn't add up for me. So I would look for that possibility to happen. Another name that fits the profile, but there's a difference between Peralta and Nomar Mazzara. Uh, Peralta is a name that I'm certain of. Uh, Mazzara is a name that I would just speculate on. A young 24-year-old hitter who would be much more expensive for the Texas Rangers, but has been discussed as a possibility of being traded. Texas is going to try and win this year, Jeremy. They're going into a new ballpark. You don't go into a new ballpark on a rebuild. So Texas is going to upgrade. They are desperate for pitching. They did get a really good year out of minor last year. They got a really good year out of Lance Lynn, but boy, they have nothing else except that. So I would think that that's a pretty good fit. If Miami was to go down that road, they would have to hope that Mazzara has a little bit better plate discipline than he's had with Texas. And they certainly would have to give up a little bit more than they would give up for a 31-year-old player like David Peralta. But to me, Peralta does fit that stopgap, left fielder, great defender, A-plus guy that maybe they sign, maybe they don't. Does it matter either way? Probably not. Arizona, what did they do with their best player uh, coming off a a year where they were going to have to sign up? They traded Goldschmidt, no problem, right? Like, I mean, it, 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 this checks. Did the Diamondbacks and Marlins have a good uh, discussion yeah. in the Gallon deal? Yes, they did. There's a lot of boxes that could potentially be, be checked here. So, and Miami has proven to be the aggressor in, in some deals too. So let, let's you know, kind of see how it, uh, how it plays out. But uh, you know, from the Diamondbacks' perspective, let's also see the comments from, from their higher-ups there. Mm. And, and see if Matt Hazen comes out and says that we're not trading David Peralta or anything like that, because uh, that, that would certainly you know, change my opinion of that. But I, I would look for that to, uh, you know, to at least the doors or the tires, I'm sorry, be kicked on that one. 
you know, the space that the Marlins are in, it feels like the first time in a very long time that the Marlins are operating from a position of power, a position of being the aggressor because they have so many prospects and are in the position where in the last couple of off seasons, they totally rejuvenated that farm system. And so they can be in the position where, like you said, there's almost an excess of players that are ready to come through the system. And so why not be able to operate from a place of strength and go out and acquire players like that in, in a world where no, you're not operating in a salary capped sport, but when you do have to give up compensation picks that could mean so much down the road, when you are a smaller market team, why not take advantage of the talent that you've built and then capitalize on their upside and go get yourself a player like David Peralta? It seems like a proper approach for a team like Miami. And it may not be Peralta, it may be someone else, but you can't on the one hand say that we've restocked the farm system and now we're in the top five and we have all these guys in the top 50 and top 100. You can't say that in one hand. And then in the other hand, say we can't give up any of them right, exactly. to be good. You can't do that because it'd be right back down the road in 2020 that we were in 2019 with this team losing 100 games again. And the mandate exactly. from ownership is that that's not acceptable. So if that is indeed the case, some of these kids are going to have to go to make the team better. The alternative conversation to that, and I understand it for anybody listening and yelling, saying, well, why don't they just go out and spend – you know, 50 million or 60 million. I mean, Castellanos probably get more than that, but let's just, right. you know, why don't they go out and get a guy for DD Gregorius for 50 or 60 million or something like that? They're really just not in a position to do it. Mm. The franchise is not making money right now outside of the other things that come outside the organization with revenue sharing and things of that nature. They're not filling up the ballpark. So just from a conceptual standpoint, the message is to win more games next year, however you do it, whether it's a trade, or whether it's a free agent signing. And look, I get it. You want to see a financial commitment come to the team. But if the, and using Peralta as an example, David Peralta is going to make $10 million this coming season. Right. He would be, outside of Wei and Chen, the highest paid player on the team. You've just taken uh, Starling Castro's salary and turned it into David Peralta. It could be somebody else, a player that we're not even thinking of that's going through arbitration that could get paid seven or eight million. They could also extend that player. Hmm. So it doesn't necessarily have to be right in front of your face. It doesn't necessarily have to be all of the players that everyone is ranking as the top 50 free agents in Major League Baseball. And I get it. And it makes for great, great clicks and it makes for great podcasts and it makes for fun discussion. That's what the winner is all about. But if you don't think that Miami isn't thinking outside the box and you haven't been paying attention over the last year, they traded Nick Anderson and Trevor Richards at the trade deadline. They yeah. traded Zach Gallen at the trade deadline. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I think yeah. they're going to make another big trade. Yeah. And I think it's going to happen this winter. I just hope it happens when I'm in San Diego at the winter meeting. Yeah, and that, and that will be exciting. You'll be at the winter meetings uh, upcoming in early December. Uh, unfortunately I will not be there with you. Uh, but the, well, you were invited. I know I was, and, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and you were and invited those work. Those work, d- uh, conflicts working multiple the Hensley Mullins. Oh, come on. Working multiple jobs is, uh, in, in media, you know, what are you going to do? But, uh, we will have Craig at the winter meetings. And so obviously we will have podcasts from there. Um, and we will have a, another podcast before the winter meetings, obviously previewing what is set to happen and what will happen in the next couple of weeks here with the Marlins uh, beforehand. But Craig, any last news or notes you want to just wrap up here before uh, we end this one and 
give everybody uh, a, a nice couple of weeks before Thanksgiving? Well, uh, the the organizational meetings were a little bit interesting just to dive into mm. that. They had those last week, so that would be the first week in November. And they had those, I believe, uh, in the Marlins Clubhouse, if I'm not mistaken. I believe they had them at Marlins Park. And, uh, you know, obviously Marlins CEO Derek Jeter there, uh, Michael Hill, president of the team, uh, Brian Chatton, who you would expect, all of those names, Gary Denbo. But also uh, in attendance at those weighing in with opinions as Adrian Lorenzo has, uh, you know, have more of a prominent role. I believe Dan Greenlee, director of player personnel. Uh, also uh, DJ Svilik, the amateur director of scouting. Mel Stottlemyre Jr., the pitching coach. Uh, Don Mattingly, the manager. So what, what Miami has done and done things quite differently and, and and really a signal of what Derek Jeter has done. And I told you guys the story about how that final decision was made in spring training with Garrett Cooper and Peter O'Brien. And not that this, it, this pales, uh, that pales in comparison to this, but what the organization has done is really given a lot of different people voices to express themselves and determine what, what they think they should do. Now the final decision is always made by the ownership. We know that. But that's a significant shift in approach, and I think they continue to build on that. And by hearing those names, you, you generally, going into an offseason, when you're going to sign free agents, Michael Hill is the president of the team and, right. and, uh, and basically the general manager too, along with Brian Chatton. So we would think those two would tell the owner, okay, here's like our plan, what to do. But no, they have a lot of people involved in this process that are all weighing in, even their coaching staff which I think is significant too. So, uh, you know, just, just something to kind of file in the back of your mind when these decisions are made by the Marlins. Yes, uh, the owner, the CEO is going to make the final decision. That does make the most sense. But I would also say that other people have very strong opinions and decisions and are asked to use those and have accountability toward those in the organization. And I just, I felt like that was worth mentioning because I can't sit here and say that the amateur director of scouting <laughs> and the pitching coach are involved in, with every organization in some of the decisions that they make. And that for me is refreshing to hear that everyone has a voice. Yeah. A holistic mindset as an organization is, is they didn't ask me important. anything for the record. Oh yeah. Well, they did not come to me and say they're clearly missing out on the best. They, they uh, could the have easily not my top five guys. I could have set this whole Peralta trade. It would have been done by now. It would have been all finished. We could they, if they were just reading swingsandmissions.com. They, they would have had knew. the trade done. We already yeah. did the trade for them. Yeah. And it would have been a win-win for both sides. It would have if, been done. For what it's worth, if you guys have not read that article yet, uh, Ian and, and Lewis did a great job on there and, and sort of detailed some of the, the deeper reasoning behind some of these players and, and who might be a good fit to, to flip back on the move. So if you are interested in what we had to say about David Peralta, you can check that out on swingsandmissions.com. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Swings and Mishes. Uh, we will be back either next week or the week after. We'll keep you guys posted. Uh, but enjoy this offseason as it's happening. And obviously follow Craig at Craig Mish for all of your latest updates. We try to keep his tweets then organized on Swings and Mishes at Swings and Mishes. So uh, be sure to follow on Twitter and uh, let us know what you think of the episodes. Like, subscribe, rate, review, etc. And uh, we will talk to you guys in the next couple of weeks.